Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Emily Bosco. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. And have a merry holiday spirit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because it is that time of year, and I believe that uh, as of the Tuesday when this particular episode drops, unless something really strange happens, this will be the last episode before Christmas. Yay, it's upon us. So, dear listeners who celebrate that particular holiday, uh, Merry Christmas. And if you don't, um, I don't know, Happy Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> well, Christmas is on a Saturday this year anyway, so hopefully it'll be just fun for everyone because it's either a holiday or it's just a weekend, so you don't or have to work anyway. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, and I will be, I don't think I have said this on the podcast yet, um, I will be in Florida surrounded by a bunch of people I have only just met this year for Christmas because <laughs> I am, uh, dear listener, I am right now, this minute, sitting in a um, not-so-pleasant motel room. I'm not going to badmouth anyone in particular, but I'll give you a hint. It is a motel that has a number in its name. Oh no. Um, so it's it's that that level uh in Savannah, Georgia on my way to Sarasota, Florida to start rehearsals for uh the Buddy Holly musical and mm-hmm. I will be there on Christmas Day surrounded <laughs> by a bunch of virtual strangers. <laughs> so um He's booked. So thank you listener booked for being blessed. with me today <laughs> because at least I know that I have you out there. Very true. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my thing. I don't know. What are you doing? Yay. Um, that's just very exciting. I'm just happy that you get to go work. That's awesome. Um, yeah. what am I doing? Um, I'm just here in Connecticut where I live. Um, and things are very much in the full holiday spirit here. I mean, we've had our lights and stuff up since before Thanksgiving because <laughs> we just didn't want to wait. So everything is all um, all aglow and happy. And uh, I was just visiting some old friends from high school and my adorable little niece uh, in New Jersey this past weekend. So I'm coming off of some very happy friend time. And uh, yeah, it's been good. Marvelous. Yeah, life's um... good. Uh, and and listener, clearly, I guess I'm I'm starting to get bad at doing this, particularly Emily, when it's you guest mm-hmm. hosting. But uh, clearly, we don't have our uh, regular lineup, or at this point, it's getting to feel like we don't have our original lineup um, <laughs> because Heather is still on the boat and still having trouble with internet and scheduling and whatnot. In fact, this week, on top of everything else, they are tech rehearsing for what will be the Norwegian Joy Christmas show. So she is very busy getting that brand new one-off spectacle ready. Ooh, that's fun. Yeah. Um, so uh, welcome back to the show, Emily. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Thank you um, for having me. Craig got to come in. My brother got to come in and be guest host last week. And if uh, if you haven't listened to that one yet, listeners, uh, you should. It was a good time. Yeah. Hold on. There's a, there's a dog. There's a dog. 
There's, there's, there's dogs. <laughs> oh, is is there a puppy trying to join the podcast? There's puppies. Hi. Do you Hi. have something to say? They do. Um, <laughs> sorry, canine interruptions. It was just so cute. They were scratching. They they scratch very politely at the door when they want to come in. They just do a little like. But they don't really bark or anything. They just kind of go like, I would like to inform you that I want to come in. <laughs> okay, babies, Lucy, you have to go. Lucy? Lucy? Oh, I know. Don't give me that face. Go, go, go. Go, go. She's giving me her best, like, <laughs> Okay, go. Um, I love you. The, I love the you. The sad puppy go dog now. eyes, which are literally named after her. Yes, exactly. And she, uh, so this dog... Well, it's one of the many wonderful things about living with my family in Connecticut is getting to be with my my little peppers. And this dog, Lucy, is the happiest dog you'll ever meet. Like, just tail constantly wagging, very, like, very clear that nobody ever mistreated her. Like, our other dog is a little skittish. But Lucy is just chilling, you know, happy all the time. But her her coloring, like of, of her fur on her face, is such that she has these eyebrows, these like sections of fur above her eyes that are shaped in such a way that she always looks like very concerned. But she's actually never concerned. She just looks that way all the time. Oh, she just has resting sad face. She, I, literally, it's that resting concerned face. She's just like, oh, that's what her face reads. But inside, she's going, I'm a happy dog. I'm a happy dog at all moments in time. Dear listener, I will try to get Emily to send me a picture of this dog face so that <gasps> yes. I can post it with uh, promotional material and you can see exactly the droopy eyebrows that she's talking about. Oh, I'm so happy to do it. I have an embarrassing <laughs> I have an embarrassing number of photos of that exact face on my phone. One might say too many, but you know. <laughs> well, believe it or not, listener, if you are a first-time listener, and if we're doing our job right, every episode is somebody's first episode, uh, mm-hmm. this is not a dog podcast. This is a literature podcast and sometimes a comedy podcast um, where we do try to read those books that look really good on your shelf or at least the books that would look really good on your shelf but most people (laughs) don't actually have them on their shelf what we do here is we cold read short stories from great authors of yesteryear we take stories out of the public domain because getting sued by authors and their estate is a really crappy way to make a living (laughs) and um we read them for you sight unseen and along the way we laugh at things that are outdated dick jokes and look Mm. up words that we're unfamiliar with and run occasional commentary on um uh, unfortunate politically incorrect period racism oh sure. Such. sure sure so this week i have selected a story that emily is going to attempt to read for you but first we're going to go get a, a little bit of fun facts because you know learning is good with entertainment too edutainment so, Edutainment. So we have established pretty thoroughly for our listeners that December is a time for ghost stories. Mm-hmm. The most well-known of these, of course, is A Christmas Carol by Mr. Charles Dickens, or as we like to refer to him here on Campfire Classics, Sir Charlie Dick. <laughs> Dickens did not invent the form, but his work has influenced countless artists who have come after him. Leo Tolstoy and Fyodor Dostoevsky were both admirers of his. 
Dostoevsky commented, We understand Dickens in Russia, I am convinced, almost as well as the English, perhaps even with all the nuances. It may well be that we love him no less than his compatriots do. And yet, how original is Dickens? How very English. (laughs) Tolstoy called David Copperfield his favorite book and used it as a model for some of his own work. Jules Verne called Dickens his favorite writer. Vincent van Gogh was inspired by Dickens' novels in several of his paintings, and in 1889, in a letter to his sister, he said that reading Dickens was one of the few things that was keeping him from committing suicide. Unfortunately, he did just that a year later. Conrad claimed he had an intense and unreasoning affection for Dickens dating back to his boyhood. Virginia (laughs) Woolf had a love-hate relationship with his works, finding his novels mesmerizing but disapproving of his sentimentalism and a commonplace style. Wow. Later, George Orwell led a pro-Dickens change in literary criticism. Roald Dahl and Paul McCartney have both claimed to be huge fans and have taken inspiration from Dickens' pages. And Jonathan Nolan, the brother of Chris Nolan, who wrote the script for the Batman film Dark Knight Rises, claims to have based much of his work on that film on the novel A Tale of Two Cities. Whoa. In fact... The term Merry Christmas, though previously in use to a certain extent, was popularized by the book A Christmas Carol. Yay. So, um, clearly, uh, though he did not originate the idea of telling ghost stories at Christmas, he, he did seem to take it to a, um, a new height that many people since him have greatly admired. Wow. He, he was uh, hugely popular with his contemporaries as well, not just people who came after him. In fact, today's story comes from a book of short stories that Dickens wrote with several other authors called The Haunted House. Dickens wrote an introduction and a conclusion that act as sort of a frame for the collection, and he and the other writers each contributed a short story to the middle section. His story, which you'll be reading today, is called The Ghost in Master B's Room. Master B? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, It's already funny. (laughs) (laughs) So before Master B turns into too many inappropriate jokes, let's get the fire started and see where the story takes us. Okay. The Ghost in Master B's Room by Charles Dickens. When I established myself in the triangular garret which had gained so distinguished a reputation, my thoughts naturally turned to Master B. (laughs) Yeah, they do that whenever I get home. (laughs) Yeah, they just, they turn there so quick. My speculations about him were uneasy and manifold. (laughs) Whether his Christian name was Benjamin, bisextile, from his having been bisextile. Bisexual? Basically, yeah. (laughs) Bisexual textiles. Bisextile. Of a year having an extra day, 29th of February, of a leap year. 
well, this makes sense because it says, whether his Christian name was Benjamin, Bisextal from his having been born in leap year. So there you go. Oh. Bartholomew or Bill. Oh, I hope it's Bartholomew. <laughs> whether the initial Bisextal. <laughs> Actually, yeah, Bisextal's better. <laughs> whether the I'm gonna name my son that if I have a son. <laughs> Just make sure that he's born on a leap year. True. Bisextal Bosco. That's cute, right? I like it. <laughs> yeah. I like I like the alliteration. Bisextal Bartholomew Bosco. Bosco, yeah. That's a good name. That's a good name. <laughs> <laughs> Whether the initial letter belonged to his family name, and that was Baxter, Black, Brown, Barker, Buggins, Baker, or Bird. <laughs> Whether he was a foundling and had been baptized B. What's a foundling? Uh, an orphan? Like... Yeah, like an orphan who, like, they a baby that was found. You were found. Okay, that's what I yeah. thought. Um, like, importance of being earnest when he's, like, found in the train station. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Got it. He was a foundling. Got it. Whether he was a foundling and had been baptized. Bread in a handbag. <laughs> yes. And had been baptized B, whether he was a lion-hearted boy and B, was short for Britain or for bull. Hmm. Whether he could possibly have been kith and kin to an illustrious lady who brightened my own childhood and had come of the blood of the brilliant mother bunch. Okay. So he's saying his this guy, Master B, he has no idea what the B stands for. Right, right, right. And I guess the narrator's last name is Bunch because he said an illustrious lady who brightened my own childhood. I guess that could be his mom or it could be someone else. And had it could come also be of- like mother bunch like mother superior oh oh yeah, yeah could be that's a lady true. of the church could be a term of endearment could be oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. who knows all right with these profitless meditations, I tormented myself much. <laughs> I also carried the mysterious letter into the appearance and pursuits of the deceased, wondering whether he dressed in blue, wore boots, he couldn't have been bald, was a boy of brains, liked books, was good at bowling, had any skill as a boxer, even in his buoyant boyhood bathed from a bathing machine at Bognor, Bangor, Bournemouth, Brighton, or Broadstairs, like a bouncing billiard ball <laughs> now that's a good acting warm-up that is like should that. be a yeah that should be a pre-show warm-up <laughs> buoyant boyhood bathed from bathing machine nope i lost it <laughs> already <laughs> so from the first i was haunted by the letter b it was not long before i remarked that i never by any hazard had a dream of master b or of anything belonging to him but the instant I awoke from sleep at whatever hour of the night, my thoughts took him up and roamed away, trying to attach his initial letter to something that would fit it and keep it quiet. Oh. For six nights I had been worried thus in Master B's room when I began to perceive that things were going wrong. The first appearance that presented itself was early in the morning when it was but just daylight and no more. I was standing shaving at my glass when... Shaving... Oh, <laughs> the mirror... The mirror, yes, the looking glass. <laughs> thinking, was, thinking a whiskey glass? No, why was my first thought? Like, what part of your body is made with glass? <laughs> She's like shaving at my glass. I was like, what? what's glass on you that you have to his, shave? His glass eye. He was shaving his glass eye. Yeah, I'm like, well, so why is it glass and sprouting hair? <laughs> Something's wrong with this man. <laughs> okay, I'm, uh, I'm silly. Got it. A mirror. <laughs> 
class. Okay. No, it's Cockney. It's Cockney rhyming slang. For oh, ass. for ass. He was yeah, shaving yeah. his butt. Oh, he's he like, oh, tick. I was shaving my glass, but it's for his ass. Okay, great. So he's shaving his butt. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I was standing shaving at my glass when I suddenly discovered, to my consternation and amazement, that I was shaving not myself, I am 50, but a boy. <laughs> no! 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 <laughs> Apparently, Master B. Master B's a boy? Okay, okay. Well, probably at some point. Okay. Oh, God. You probably shouldn't go around shaving little boys' butts. Though. No, you shouldn't. That's not yeah. cool. I mean, it's to his own consternation and amazement. I'm like, I should say so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Apparently, Master B. I trembled and looked over my shoulder. Nothing there. I looked again in the glass and distinctly saw the features and expression of a boy who was shaving not to get rid of a beard, but to get one. <laughs> Is that something little boys do? They think it's going to make yeah, the hair well grow? Sometimes if I just shave backwards, my hair grows in longer. Great, great. Yeah. yeah. It's a good technique. I just, I hit the rewind button on my mm -hmm. razor and it, you know. <laughs> Extremely troubled in my mind, I should say so, I took a few turns in the room and went back to the looking glass, resolved to steady my hand and complete the operation in which I had been disturbed. Opening my eyes, which I had shut while recovering my firmness, I now met in the glass, looking straight at me, the eyes of a young man of four or five and 20. Wow, 24, 25. Mm -hmm. Terrified by this new ghost, I closed my eyes and made a strong effort to recover myself. Opening them again, I saw, shaving his cheek in the glass, my father, who has long been dead. Nay, I even saw my grandfather, too, whom I never did see in my life. Although naturally much affected by these remarkable visitations, I determined to keep my secret until the time agreed upon for the present general disclosure. Agitated by a multitude of curious thoughts, I retired to my room that night, prepared to encounter some new experience of a spectral character. This is very Ebenezer. He's waiting for the yeah. next ghost. Yeah. Yep. Nor was my preparation needless for waking from an uneasy sleep at exactly two o'clock in the morning. What were my feelings to find that I was sharing my bed with the skeleton of Master B? Ah, no thank oh. you. <laughs> no thank you. Your face was good there. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I sprang up and the skeleton sprang up also. I then heard a plaintive voice saying, Where am I? What has become of me? And looking hard in that direction perceived the ghost of Master B. I feel like Master B has your dog's eyes. <laughs> Given so that true. voice you gave him. Where am I? That's so what true. What has become of me? Why did I make him so pathetic? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a ghost. Oh, so he... bother. Oh, bother. And he's a little Pooh Bear and he's a little Lucy the dog. <laughs> <laughs> little Eeyore. So I'm just going to oh, picture bother. him as Lucy. I'm just going to picture him as Lucy. That's just, he's he's going to be a dog ghost for me. <laughs> Great. Um, nothing bad better not happen to this dog. I swear. Okay. Well, the, he already died. Oh, true. True. What else could happen? You're right. So. <laughs> oh, man. <This laughs> the <sucks>. young... <laughs> this sucks. Where am I? What has become of me? 
and looking hard in that direction perceived the ghost of Master B. The young specter was dressed in an obsolete fashion, or rather was not so much dressed as put into a case of inferior pepper and salt cloth, made horrible by means of shining buttons. <laughs> oh, okay. So this is not a well <laughs> this is not a well dressed He's, ghost. It's <laughs> an ugly ass suit. Ugly ass suit. <laughs> I observed that these buttons went in a double row over each shoulder of the young ghost and appeared to descend his back. He wore a frill round his neck. His right hand, which I distinctly noticed to be inky, was laid upon his stomach, connecting this action with some feeble pimples on his countenance and his general air of nausea. I concluded this ghost to be the ghost of a boy who had habitually taken a great deal too much medicine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he's a writer because his right hand and is inky. And he's a writer. His well, right hand is got, he's, And he's got the Shakespeare collar. Yeah, he's got the frill. Mm-hmm. Where am Maybe I? Maybe that's what the B stands for. He's he's Billy Shakes. <gasps> Billy Shakes. <laughs> that would be quite a twist if at the end of this he turned out to be Baby Shakespeare. B for Baby Shakespeare. <laughs> baby Billy Shakes. <laughs> <laughs> Where am I? Said the little specter in a pathetic voice. There you go. I, I knew. I just knew he was going to be pathetic. Right. <laughs> and why was I born in the calomel days? And why did I have all that calomel given me? Oh, I guess that's the medicine. Calomel. Probably. Calomel. Because he said he seems to be sickly. Calomel or mm -hmm. mercurious chloride, uh, mm -hmm. which was used by physicians in the 16th century to treat malaria and yellow fever and as a preparation called worm chocolate or worm candy and was given to patients infested with different types of parasitic creepy crawlers. Worm candy? I'm going to puke. Yep. I'm going to puke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we know why the specter is so pathetic and sad. Yeah. He says... he had yellow fever and worms. <laughs> worms. Why did I have all that calomel given me? I know, my dude. That is sad. I replied with sincere earnestness that upon my soul I couldn't tell him. Where's my little sister, said the ghost, and where my angelic little wife, and where is the boy I went to school with? This is so sad because they're all really dead. <laughs> I entreated the phantom to be comforted, and above all things, to take heart respecting the loss of the boy he went to school with. I represented to him that probably that boy never did, within human experience, come out well when discovered. What? <laughs> What? <laughs> I, I, I represented to him that probably that boy never did within human experience come out well when discovered. So, like, he probably didn't amount to anything, I guess? I, I, I guess. I don't know. It's a weird sentence. I urged that I myself had, in later life, turned up several boys whom I went to school with, and none of them had at all answered. I expressed my humble belief that that boy never did answer. I represented that he was a mythic character, a delusion, and a snare. I recounted how the last time I found him, I found him at a dinner party behind a wall of white cravat, with an inconclusive opinion on every possible subject, and a power of silent boredom absolutely titanic. <laughs> so, like, this boy turned into a real douche. I looked up my friend, and he was just so fucking boring. Boring, yeah. <laughs> 
a power of silent boredom absolutely titanic that's what i'll that's what i'll be saying to uh anyone i, I meet and i don't immediately take a liking to i'm gonna tell them that they have that <laughs> I'm sorry, I, you just have a titanic power of absolute boredom. Yeah. The Tinder date's gone awry. That's what they're getting. <laughs> <laughs> I related how, on the strength of our having been together at old Doylance's, okay, someone's house, he had asked himself to breakfast with me, a social offense of the largest magnitude. How fanning my weak embers of belief in Doylance's boys, I had let him in, and how he had proved to be a fearful wanderer about the earth, pursuing the race of Adam with inexplicable notions concerning the currency, and with the proposition that the Bank of England should, on pain of being abolished, instantly strike off and circulate God knows how many thousand millions of ten and sixpenny notes. The, the ghost heard me in silence and with a fixed stare. Barber, it apostrophed to me when I had finished. <laughs> but uh, that's yeah, that's that's a, that's a good uh, that's a good answer to all of that. <laughs> but barber, I repeated, for I am not of that profession. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a barber. Condemned, oh, no. said the ghost, to shave. <laughs> no. Condemned, said the ghost, to shave a constant change of customers. Now me, now a young man, now thyself as thou art, now thy father, now thy grandfather, condemned too to lie down with a skeleton every night and to rise with it every morning. I shuddered on hearing this dismal announcement. Barber, pursue me! I had felt even before the words were uttered that... Because that's... The ghost is describing what what had already happened to the narrator. Right? Because all this stuff, yeah. we just heard that the narrator had all this stuff happen to him. Yeah, but like, why, what's he being condemned for? I have no idea. Because he's not, like, he doesn't seem to be a douchey, scroogey character. No, although maybe we'll find out he did something bad. Maybe. Let's see. I had felt, even before the words were uttered, that I was under a spell to pursue the phantom. I immediately did so, and was in Master B's room no longer. Most people know what long and fatiguing night journeys had been forced upon the witches who used to confess, and who... Can you hear her? Yeah. She's so funny. She's so loud! Uh, but it, she just wants love. Pause, pause. This isn't even, this isn't even Sad-Eyed Lucy, this is Layla, but let me see why she's crying. Hold up. Layla boo. Layla boo. Layla boo. Layla honey. Crisis averted. (laughs) She was upset because my dad and the other dog were in the front yard, but she didn't get to go out with them. So she said, why not me? She cried until I let her out. So, okay. Back to this. Most people know what long and fatiguing night journeys had been forced upon witches who used to confess, and who no doubt told the exact truth, particularly as they were always assisted with leading questions, and the torture was always ready. I asseverate, yep, I asseverate that, what's that mean? (laughs) Asseverate. 
declare or state solemnly or emphatically? Well, there you go. Okay, great. So I do it's declare. Just, <laughs> it's, it's just it's just like saying assert, but with a few extra letters. Love it. Yeah, it's just the English <laughs> okay, trying great. to cheat at Scrabble again. That's all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Getting paid by the letter. I asseverate that during my occupation of Master B's room, I was taken by the ghost that haunted it on expeditions fully as long and wild as any of those. Assuredly, I was presented to no shabby old man with a goat's horns and tail, something between Pan and an old clothesman, holding conventional receptions as stupid as those of real life and less decent. (laughs) But I came upon other things which appeared to me to have more meaning. Okay. So I didn't meet He's the devil. On. Right. But I I was shown other things that were just as freaky. Right, just as freaky, yep. Confident that I speak the truth and shall be believed, I declare without hesitation. Oh, you declare now. You don't asseverate. Now you declare. <laughs> well, he already de- used the word once. He doesn't want to sound yeah. like he's showing off. Sure, sure, sure. Very uh yes. Confident that I speak the truth and shall be believed, I declare without hesitation that I followed the ghost in the first instance on a broomstick and afterwards on a rocking horse. (laughs) The very smell of the animal's... A rocking horse? (laughs) The very smell of the animal's paint, especially when I brought it out by making him warm, I am ready to swear to. What? (laughs) I followed the ghost afterwards in a hackney coach, an institution... An institution with the peculiar smell of which the present generation is unacquainted, but to which I am again ready to swear as a combination of stable, dog with the mange, and very old bellows. (laughs) (laughs) That is a vivid description of a smell that I don't want to ever smell. (laughs) So he took he took this old style coach to follow him, and it's so yeah. old fashioned that he's like, "Okay, you don't know what this means, but let me explain to yeah, you." Yeah, it was gnarly. Like. He basically said, "Y'all millennials don't know nothing about stank. Let me describe <laughs> it to you. This is some old school stank that I know, and you don't." <laughs> oh God! You think you um, got it bad? Yeah. <laughs> In this, I appeal to previous generations to confirm or refute me. <laughs> it's a come at me, boomers. I pursued the phantom on a headless donkey, at least upon a donkey who was so interested in the state of his stomach that his head was always down there investigating it. Uh, okay. <laughs> on ponies expressly born to kick up behind. On roundabouts and swings from fairs, in the first cab, another forgotten institution where the fair regularly got into bed and was tucked up with the driver. Okay. So he's describing all of the bizarre ways he traveled through the night to try to track down Mr. B. To get the ghost. Uh Mr. B. Uh Uh-huh. But, like, I'm finding myself (laughs) wondering how literal some of this is versus how much he's like right oh dude did you get into the calomel have you gone a little right (laughs) right right followed him on a broomstick huh yeah and then on a rocking horse and then a rocking horse headless donkey yeah okay or like a donkey that was consistently licking its stomach 
I'm like, is that what? <laughs> and well, then he goes on to say, because he is nothing if not self-aware, not to trouble you with a detailed account of all my travels in pursuit of the ghost of Master B, which were longer and more wonderful than those of Sinbad the Sailor, I will confine myself to one experience from which you may judge of many. <laughs> okay, right. so he's like, I, I know I'm going on and on. I was marvelously changed. I was myself, yet not myself. I was conscious of something within me, which has been the same all through my life, and which I have always recognized under all its phases and varieties as never altering. And yet, I was not the I who had gone to bed in Master B's room. I had the smoothest of faces and the shortest of legs, and I had taken another creature like myself, also with the smoothest of faces and the shortest of legs, behind a door, and was confiding to him a proposition of the most astounding nature. The proposition was that we should have a seraglio. A seraglio. A, um, a something that he wants to have with another young man. <laughs> what that is, I don't know. <laughs> but let's find out. A seraglio. Mm-hmm. A harem. <laughs> okay. Seraglio, the women's apartments or harem in the Ottoman palace, a Turkish or Ottoman palace, especially the sultan's court and government offices in Constantinople. So yeah, it's it's where the um the Turkish and Ottoman rulers would keep their harem of ladies. A big old orgy. He's saying, let's have a big old orgy. Yeah. The great, well, then this next sentence makes sense. The other creature assented warmly. He had no notion of respectability. Neither had I. <laughs> <laughs> we was, we was dogs. <laughs> it was the custom of the so, East. It was the so way. <laughs> I wasn't myself anymore, but I was still myself. I was a young man. I grabbed another young man on the street and I said, orgy? Or do? And he said, yeah, bro. Yep. And uh, <laughs> it was the custom of the East. It was the way of the good Caliph Harun al-Rashid. Let me have the corrupted name again for once. It is so scented with sweet memories. Oh, the use, okay, he naughty. The usage was highly laudable and most worthy of imitation. Oh, yes, let us, said the other creature with a jump. Have a seraglio. <laughs> <laughs> So he's like berries and cream, berries and cream. I'm the lad of love. Berries and cream. <laughs> oh God. So it's um, orgy. Oh yes, let's have an oh, orgy. Please, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> it was not because we entertained the faintest doubts of the meritorious character of the Oriental establishment we proposed to import that we perceived it must be kept a secret from Miss Griffin. Who the fuck is Miss Griffin? <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I guess someone who shouldn't know they're having a seraglio. It was because we knew Miss Griffin to be bereft of human sympathies <laughs> and incapable of appreciating the greatness of the great Harun. <laughs> mystery, mystery impenetrably shrouded Miss Griffin then. Let us entrust it to Miss Buell. Okay, Miss Buell's more down to party, I guess. Another cool lady. 
<laughs> we were ten in Miss Griffin's establishment by Hampstead Ponds, eight ladies and two gentlemen. Miss Buell, whom I judged to have attained the ripe age of eight or nine, took the lead. <laughs> what? What? The why is so this little girl mixed up in the seraglio? They're all little kids. Oh, I thought he said he was like a young man of 24, 25, or that was earlier but when he was shaving. Was, young man of 24, 25 was earlier. Uh, he said something about <laughs> um, smoothest of faces and shortest of Short legs. Short legs. Okay, okay. So they're little wee ones. So they're like they're, play. So yeah. They're playing seraglio. Yeah. But which is a sex party. So, okay. Okay. Okay, Charlie yeah, Dick. But, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't know. He doesn't he know. Didn't know. He doesn't know. He said, oh, He's let's like, well, have a Seraglio. Okay. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Buell, whom I judged to have attained the ripe age of eight or nine, took the lead in society. I opened the subject to her in the course of the day and proposed that she should become the favorite. Capital F. Okay. <laughs> so Ms. she's going to be wife number one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Head lady. Miss Buell, after struggling with the diffidence so natural to and charming in her adorable sex, <laughs> expressed herself as flattered by the idea, but wished to know how it was proposed to provide for Miss Pipson. Miss Buell, who was understood to have vowed towards that young lady a friendship, halves, and no secrets until death on the church service and lessons complete in two volumes with case and lock. Miss Buell said that she could not, as the friend of Pipson, disguise from herself or me that Pipson was not one of the common. So she said, not without my buddy. I'm yeah. not going without my buddy. Yeah. Can't do that to my girl. Good uh, for you. Like, yes, yes. I'll, I'll come be part of your harem and be wife number one. But my friend Pipson. Uh, she's coming too. She, she's she's got to come too. And she also has to be a favorite. I love it. I'll let you know what? Sisterhood. Solidarity. This is good. Now, Miss Pipson, having curly hair and blue eyes, which was my idea of anything mortal and feminine that was called fair. Oh, he likes her. <laughs> I promptly replied that I regarded Miss Pipson in the light of a fair Circassian. Pretty women, fascinating. And what then? Miss Buell pensively asked. I replied that she must be inveigled by a merchant brought to, oh, inveiled. Sorry, there's a G in the word "inveiled," and it's inveiled. Uh, in, in I replied that she must be inveiled by a merchant, brought to me veiled, and purchased as a slave. All right, he had me. He had me, and then he lost me. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, the 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 you know the king's harem. They're they're not exactly like equal willing participants. This is very true. The other creature had already fallen into the second male place in the state and was set apart for Grand Vizier, like Jafar. He afterwards resisted this disposal of events, but had his hair pulled until he yielded. <laughs> That's child law for you. Yep. Shall I not be jealous? Miss Buell inquired, casting down her eyes. Zobeda, no, I replied. You will ever be the favorite sultana. The first place in my heart and on my throne will ever be yours. Miss Buell, upon that assurance, he's a smooth talker for an eight-year-old. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Buell, upon that assurance, consented to propound the idea to her seven beautiful companions. <laughs> it occurred.
occurring to me in the course of the same day that we knew we could trust a grinning and good-natured soul called Tabby, who was the serving drudge of the house, and had no more figure than one of the beds, and upon whose face there was always more or less black lead, I slipped into Miss Buell's hand after supper a little note to that effect, dwelling on the black lead as being in a manner deposited by the finger of Providence, pointing Tabby out for Mesrur the celebrated chief of the blacks of the harem. Okay, so he's like, your house, your servant's got to get involved too. He's in the harem right. too. <laughs> there were difficulties in the formation of the desired instinct. I'm also like, oh, so they're inviting like every kid in their class because we need seven little girls. In. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're getting all the little girls together and they're all going to have different, different. Different ranks. <laughs> It's like you have to invite all the kids in the class to your birthday party. You have to so no one feels left out. <laughs> there were difficulties in the formation of the desired institution, as there are in all combinations. The other creature showed himself of a low character, and when defeated in aspiring to the throne, pretended to have conscientious scruples about prostrating himself before the caliph wouldn't call him commander of the faithful, spoke of him slightingly and inconsistently as a mere chap, said he, the other creature, wouldn't play, play, and was otherwise coarse and offensive. This meanness of disposition was, however, put down by the general indignation of an united seraglio, and I became blessed in the smiles of eight of the fairest daughters of men. So his little friend that he set the thing up with was pissed off that he didn't get to be king, yeah, so uh -huh. he quit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Threw a little tantrum. <laughs> he said, I won't play. <laughs> the smiles could only be bestowed when Miss Griffin was looking another way, and only then in a very wary manner, for there was a legend among the... So do you think Miss Griffin is like the teacher? Like the she's teacher, an probably. Right? Yeah. Like she's an authority figure. They have to hide this from her. <laughs> um... And they did say before, like, she's no fun at all, which makes me think she's yeah. probably an adult. <laughs> and only then in a very wary manner. Either that or she's the brown noser. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the... Like she's going to tell. She sits in the front of the class and she said, yeah. we had homework. Did you forget? <laughs> um, the smiles could only be bestowed when Miss Griffin was looking another way. And only then in a very wary manner. For there was a legend among the followers of the prophet that she saw with a little round ornament in the middle of the pattern on the back of her shawl. <laughs> She's got eyes in the back of her sweater. <laughs> but every day after dinner for an hour, we were all together. And then the favorite and the rest of the royal harem competed who should most beguile the leisure of the serene Haroon reposing from the cares of state, which were generally, as in most affairs of state, of an arithmetical nature character the commander of the faithful being a fearful boggler at a sum okay okay so set around doing math they're homework. doing math yeah <laughs> doing math homework. <laughs> that's the big orgies they're doing math homework yep. <laughs> the big party rather on these occasions the devoted miss roar chief of the blacks of the harem was always in attendance miss griffin usually ringing for that officer at the same time with great vehemence but never acquitted himself in a manner worthy of his historical reputation in the first place his bringing a broom into the divan of the caliph even when harun wore on his shoulders the red robe of anger miss pipson's pelisse 
Is it like a scarf? <laughs> scarf or yeah. something? <laughs> yeah. He's trying to he's trying to dress up like a, a like Turkish yeah. or, or Arabic ruler, but he's doing it by taking the little girl's mm-hmm. scarves and wrapping them up. <laughs> Though it might be got over for the moment, was never to be quite satisfactorily accounted for. In the second place, his breaking out into grinning explanations of Look, you pretties, was neither Eastern nor respectful. (laughs) In the third place, when specially instructed to say Bismillah, he always said Hallelujah. This officer, unlike his class, was too good-humored altogether, kept his mouth open far too wide, (laughs) expressed approbation to an incongruous extent, and even once... It was on the occasion of the purpose of the fair Circassian for 500,000 purses of gold, and cheap, too. Embraced the slave, the favorite, and the caliph all round. Parenthetically, let me say, God bless Miss Roar, and may there have been sons and daughters on that tender bosom, softening many a hard day since. (laughs) Wow. Miss Griffin. so bizarre. So bizarre. So, so very bizarre. So they're they're playing. They're 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 playing Oriental uh, appropriation. And so these yeah. kids are these English kids are playing. Yep. This is, yeah. Yeah. It's it's Eastern cultural appropriation. Yep. Miss Griffin was a model of propriety, and I am at a loss to imagine what the feelings of the virtuous woman would have been if she had known when she paraded us down the Hampstead Road two and two that she was walking with a stately step at the head of polygamy and Mahomedanism. <laughs> wow. I believe that a mysterious and terrible joy with which the contemplation of Miss Griffin in this unconscious state inspired us, and a grim sense prevalent among us that there was a dreadful power in our knowledge of what Miss Griffin, who knew all things that could be learnt out of a book, didn't know, were the mainspring of the preservation of our secret. Oh, they're having so much fun being sneaky. <laughs> it was wonderfully kept, but was once upon the verge of self-betrayal. <gasps> The danger and escape occurred upon a Sunday. We were all ten ranged in a conspicuous part of the gallery at church, with Miss Griffin at our head, as we were every Sunday, advertising the establishment in an unsecular sort of way, when the description of Solomon in his domestic glory happened to be read. The moment that monarch was thus referred to, conscience whispered me, Thou too, Haroon? The officiating minister had a cast in his eye, and it assisted conscience by giving him the appearance of reading personally at me. A crimson <laughs> a crimson blush attended by a fearful perspiration suffused my features. <laughs> the grand vizier became more dead than alive, and the whole seraglio reddened as if the sunset of Baghdad shone direct upon their lovely faces. <laughs> These kids are bugging. <laughs> Two into the game. Two into the game. Two into the game. The blush and the blush gave him away. At this portentous time, the awful Griffin rose and balefully surveyed the children of Islam. Oh God, this is so uncomfortable. <laughs> Dear listener, for the record, Campfire Classics does recognize that what is going on here is wildly inappropriate behavior on the part of uh, 19th century white English school kids who don't know any better. Um, We are not encouraging you to turn eight of your closest lady friends into your own personal harem. (laughs) No, no, we're not. Yeah. Yep. That would be very bad. 
not endorsing that at all. Okay, let's see. Okay, so they're sweating. At this portentous time, the awful griffin rose and balefully surveyed the children of Islam. My own impression was that church and state had entered into a conspiracy with Miss Griffin to expose us, and that we should all be put into white sheets and exhibited in the center aisle. But white sheets? I guess it's a punishment. But so westerly, if... Uh, They're probably not being forced to join the KKK, so I don't know. No, I'm thinking. Yeah, no, I'm thinking this is pre that. (laughs) But so westerly, if I may be allowed the expression, as opposed to Eastern associations, was Miss Griffin's sense of rectitude that she merely suspected apples, and we were saved. Apples, apples with a capital A. (laughs) What? Suspected apples. The only reference to the phrase she merely suspected apples I can find online are references to this story. This story, yeah. Okay. Well, she she thinks some silly's going on. Maybe they all yeah. had bad bad apples or something and they're sick. Who knows? Okay. <laughs> but whatever it was, they were saved because Yep. She didn't drag them into the center aisle of the church. I have called the Seraglio united upon the question solely whether the commander of the faithful durst exercise a right of kissing in that sanctuary of the palace were its peerless inmates divided. Zobede asserted a counter right in the favorite to scratch and The fair Circassian put her face for refuge into a green baize bag originally designed for books. On the other hand, a young antelope of transcendent beauty from the fruitful plains of Camden Town, whence she had (laughs) (laughs) a young antelope, okay, whence she had been brought by traders in the half-yearly caravan that crossed the intermediate desert after the holidays, held more liberal opinions. Oh, she's down to kiss, but stipulated for limiting the benefit of them to that dog and son of a dog, the Grand Vizier. <laughs> oh, when she only wanted to kiss his only friend. Only him, yeah. Who had no rights and was not in question. <laughs> He's <a> not him, <laughs> me. <laughs> At length, the difficulty was compromised by the installation of a very youthful slave as deputy. <laughs> She, raised upon a stool, officially received upon her cheeks the salutes intended by the gracious Harun for other sultanas and was privately rewarded from the coffers of the ladies of the harem. Oh, so she said, you can kiss my cheeks. You can give my cheeks all the kisses. That was very cute. This story goes and back and forth. Girls, and the other girls paid her so paid they her. wouldn't kiss so they wouldn't, Yeah, so they wouldn't have to get kissed. <laughs> The story goes back and forth between, like, cute and very troubling. Really creepy. (laughs) Yeah, really creepy. (laughs) But I like that part. She said, I'll I'll take it. I'll take it on the chin for you all if you give me money. (laughs) And now it was at the full height of enjoyment of my bliss that I became heavily troubled. Oh, no. I began to think of my mother. Well, yeah, that'll that'll kill the vibe. Yeah. I began to I began to think of my mother and what she would say to my taking home at midsummer eight of the most beautiful of the daughters of men, <laughs> but all unexpected. Oh my God! I thought of the number of beds we made up at our house, of my father's <laughs> income, <laughs> and of the baker, and my despondency redoubles. 
<laughs> the seraglio and malicious vizier, divining the cause of their lord's unhappiness, did their utmost to augment it. They professed unbounded fidelity and declared that they would live and die with him. Reduced to the utmost wretchedness by these protestations of attachment, I lay awake for hours at a time, ruminating on my frightful lot. In my despair, <laughs> heavy is the crown, man. Like, this kid is going through it. He said, we can't fit all these girls in my house. <laughs> I thought it'd be so much fun to just be yeah. swimming in ladies. And now, right. oh, God, I didn't think about the reality of it. Right. How are we going to feed them all? <laughs> in my despair, I think I might have taken an early opportunity of falling on my knees before Miss Griffin, avowing my resemblance to Solomon and praying to be dealt with according to the outraged laws of my country in an unthought of means of escape had not opened before me. <laughs> So he's like, I'm about to blow this whole thing up. I feel like there is a moral here for the modern day that is something mm -hmm. to the effect of um, playing the field is way more exhausting than it's worth. Listen, that is that is true. That's, there's some wisdom there. <laughs> One day we were out walking two and two. On which occasion the vizier had his usual instructions to take note of the boy at the turnpike, and if he profanely gazed, which he always did, at the beauties of the harem, to have him bowstrung in the course of the night. <laughs> and it happened that our hearts were veiled in gloom. An unaccountable action on the part of the antelope had plunged the state into disgrace. Uh-oh, what'd she do? Mm. That charmer on the representation that the previous day was her birthday and that vast treasures had been sent in a hamper for its celebration, both baseless assertions, had secretly but most pressingly invited 35 neighboring princes and princesses to a ball and supper with a special stipulation that they were not to be fetched till 12. This wandering of the antelope's fancy led to the surprising arrival at Miss Griffin's door in divers' equipages, e e equipages equipment in like divers' outfits. In diverse equipages. Um, I'm oh, diverse. Oh, it's it's either going to be um, outfits or yeah. like carriages. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 This yeah. right. A carriage and horses with attendants. Okay. So Miss Griffin opens her door, and there are in diverse equipages and under various escorts of a great company in full dress who were deposited at the top step in a flush of high expectancy and who were dismissed in tears. <laughs> Miss Griffin said, well, <laughs> Miss Griffin said, who the fuck are you? Get out of here. Weird-ass kids. <laughs> yeah. At the beginning of the double knocks attendant on these ceremonies, the antelope had retired to a back attic and bolted herself in, and at every new arrival, Miss Griffin had gone so much more and more distracted that at last she had been sent to tear her front. Ultimate capitulation on the part of the offender had been followed by solitude in the linen closet, bread and water, and a lecture to all of vindictive length, in which Miss Griffin had used expressions, firstly, I believe you, all of you knew it. Secondly, every one of you is as wicked as another. Thirdly, a pack of little wretches. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, these kids. <laughs> Under these uh... circumstances, oh man. 
Under these circumstances, we were walking drearily along, and I, especially, with my Muslim responsibilities heavy on me, was in a very low state of mind, when a strange man accosted Miss Griffin, and after walking at her side for a little while, and talking with her, looked at me. Supposing him to be a minion of the law, and that my hour was come, I instantly ran away with the general purpose of <laughs> with the general purpose of making for Egypt. <laughs> sure. Naturally. He's like, I'm running Egypt. The whole Seraglio cried out when they saw me making off as fast as my legs would carry me. I had an impression that the first turning on the left and rounded by the public house would be the shortest way to the pyramids. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Griffin screamed after me, the faithless vizier ran after me, and the boy at the turnpike dodged me into a corner like a sheep and cut me off. <laughs> Nobody scolded me when I was taken and brought back. Miss Griffin only said, with a stunning gentleness, This was very curious. Why had I run away when the gentleman looked at me? <laughs> if I had had any breath to answer with, I dare say I should have made no answer. Having no breath, I certainly made none. <laughs> Miss Griffin and the strange man looked, took me between them and walked me back to the palace in a sort of state, but not at all, as I couldn't help feeling with astonishment in a culprit state. When we got there, we went into a room by ourselves, and Miss Griffin called in to her assistant, Mesrur, chief of the dusky guards of the harem. Mesrur, on being whispered to, began to shed tears. Bless you, my precious, said that officer, turning to me. Your paws took bitter bad. Oh, my God! I asked, I asked with a fluttered heart, Is he very ill? Lord, temper the wind to you, my lamb, said the good Miss Roar, kneeling down, that I might have a comforting shoulder for my head to rest on. Your paws dead! <laughs> what? Oh. Oh. oh, my God! Harun al-Rashid took to flight at the words, the Seraglio vanished. From that moment, I never again saw one of the eight of the fairest of the daughters of men. I was taken home, and there was debt at home, as well as death, and we had a sale there. My own little bed was so superciliously looked upon by a power unknown to me, hazily called the trade, that a brass coal scuttle a roasting jack and a bird cage were obliged to be put into it to make a lot of it, and then it went for a song. Nobody would even buy his bed. <laughs> so I heard mentioned, and I wondered what song, and thought, what a dismal song it must have been to sing. <laughs> oh, that's a cute misunderstanding slash pun. <laughs> this poor little boy. This is so sad. That. I'm so confused because I have forgotten the beginning of the story in which there was a ghost and a master bee, all that stuff. I don't remember how any of that relates to the children and their their harem, but uh, we continue. Hopefully, well, so this this whole thing is one of the like weird visions that he had while he was chasing the ghost. Okay, see, I forgot that part. <laughs> okay, so he's okay. 
Then I was sent to a great, cold, bare school of big boys, where everything to eat and wear was thick and clumpy, without being enough, where everybody, large and small, was cruel, where the boys knew all about the sale before I got there and asked me what I had fetched and who had bought me and hooted at me, going, going, gone. I never whispered in that wretched place that I had been Haroon and had had a seraglio. For I knew that if I mentioned my reverses, I should be so worried that I should have to drown myself in the muddy pond near the playground, which looked like the beer. Oh my God. Ah me, ah me. No other ghost has haunted the boy's room, my friends, since I have occupied it than the ghost of my own childhood, the ghost of my own innocence, the ghost of my own airy belief. Many a time have I pursued the phantom, Never with this man's stride of mine to come up with it. Never with these man's hands of mine to touch it. Never more to this man's heart of mine to hold it in its purity. And here you see me working out as cheerfully and thankfully as I may, my doom of shaving in the glass a constant change of customers and of lying down and rising up with the skeleton allotted to me for my mortal companion. The end. Oh my god, that was so sad. So um that is I think an early version of what is a very popular form of uh fantasy that I'm actually not a huge fan of. Yeah. Um, that uh that the Wizard of Oz also falls under. Oh yeah. Which is the was this magical or not? Uh-huh. And and it seems like the whole thing was sort of a metaphor for all of the ghosts in the room are just his memories. Yeah, yeah. And the little boy that he was chasing is just the younger version of him. And right. the missing friend is one of the friends that he lost touch with. Hey, right, his lost innocence. I mean, there's definitely like such echoes of if he didn't write this before, like if he didn't write this before Christmas Carol, then he... He took elements from A Christmas Carol for this, or this is like a precursor where he's playing with those same themes. Yeah. Yeah, because he's he's going back and revisiting school age him. Yeah. This is so sad. Yeah. This is the kind of media that generally I don't seek out for myself. I don't yeah. like things that make me sad. <laughs> you really don't. <laughs> Well, we got through it, and there was some silliness in there, you know. I mean, the image of the kids playing, you know, like, you know, pretend, um, you know, I'm the sultan and you're all my subject. Like, it's um, it's disturbing, but there, there's a way in which it's also cute. Like, kids playing pretend is always pretty cute. Yeah. With their innocent, they're sweating in church because they think someone's going to know what they've been doing. Like, that's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, a lot um, a sad plot because at the beginning he's saying like i forget what master b has to do with it what's the letter b what's the whole thing about b so the room that he is staying in now is the room of master b oh so he thinks the ghost is like related to that place like he's being haunted by the ghost of the former occupant yeah right because first, it feels like first the story is about like me and Master B. I'm trying to find out who he is. Like, was he this? Was he brawny? Was he beautiful? Was he into baseball? Like all that stuff. And then, <laughs> and then, but then he's chasing him 
And then like I, the, the connecting tissue between that and then all of a sudden like we're in his childhood mem- memory, like reliving that thing that happened to him. Yeah. Like, how did we get from there to there? But then in the end, he's like, well, this is my lot in life. Like every day I shave a lot of people in the mirror and I lie down with a skeleton. And I was like, oh, right. That happened too. What? Yeah. <laughs> a, a bizarre, a bizarre one. This is very, very um, sort of bleak commentary on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Merry Christmas. Yeah. I was literally <laughs> just going to say that. So uh, happy holidays. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> No, I mean, if, if you if you want a, um, a, a similar in tone to this, but happier palate cleanser, watch either Scrooged with Bill Murray, which will make you cry, but then it'll make you laugh so mm-hmm. much, and then it'll make you happy cry, and A Freaking Muppet Christmas Carol, which I watched for the first time this past weekend, and let me tell you... Uh, I, I, can't, I can't stop talking about it. I, I mean, I've been telling you for months that it's like, it's my favorite, it's my favorite Muppet movie. It is the best version of A Christmas Carol. It's so amazing. Uh, just go watch it. it. It will make you so happy. Oh, <laughs> Zoom just said, you're raising, I'm emphatically waving around as I talk about it. And Zoom just said, you're raising your hand. Did you want to speak? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yes, Zoom, I'm already speaking. Thank you. I'm talking about the Muppets. I'm very passionate about this. Well, <laughs> well, I was waiting for you to sign on. I was uh, I was singing. I don't remember what I was singing, but I was like humming a tune. And it said, are you trying to play music? Oh, it's so creepy. They know what's happening. The computers are too smart. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a delightful palate cleanser too. And then, you know, then you've always got your, your just pure Christmas silliness, your elves and your The Grinch and Charlie Brown. Um, those are all classics in my household. Yeah. So we will be watching those on Christmas Eve. Non-negotiable. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. What did you think, listener? How did that story make you feel? Was yeah. it silly? Was it unsettling? Did it just make <laughs> you sad? Do you like sad stories? I know that we have a couple of regular listeners who every time I I say something along the lines of, yeah, that was really well yeah. written, but it was kind of sad. I don't think I liked it they like come out of the woodwork to be like yeah but actually i really liked it and i actually kind of thought it was really funny and no that was one of my favorite stories you've read or whatever no that is always fun that's that's um, some people's bag in a way like i i i don't know i have a friend who just loves to listen to sad music for example and then by contrast when i told you to listen to the new taylor swift song that was about her you know devastating first big breakup you were like i don't want to listen to something that makes me sad i'm too empathetic (laughs) No, thank you. I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's beautiful. No, I don't know. I, I walk. I walk the line. Sometimes I just want to like put on Taylor and cry with a glass of wine in the bathtub and just be there. And other times I'm like, only happy thoughts. <laughs> so, listener, honest, genuine question, and please reach out and let me know. Are you a fan of these sort of sadder, darker, more um, sort of heavy and melancholic? stories and movies and songs and whatnot and if you are genuinely not judgmentally why i would love an explanation um because i i never have been and uh while i can always appreciate the quality of writing and performance it it always leaves me a little um sad and i don't like being sad so uh let me know why and as long as you're shooting me a message to let me know why you like sad things, 
Um, you can also send me this week's secret passcode, which is simply orgy. <laughs> with a question mark. With a question orgy, mark. Yeah. Orgy question mark. <laughs> <laughs> or you with a question mark and uh yeah tack that either into the subject line or somewhere into the body of an email or message you can message campfire classics on any of the social medias um uh what we got instagram and facebook and twitter uh or shoot us an email at 5050 artsproduction at gmail.com uh that's 5050 artsproduction at gmail.com and um i'll read that and if you give me a good explanation i'll even respond yay uh and i think that's all for me emily do you have anything you would like to share with our listeners before we sign off Mm, thank you for listening um this is always so fun and happy holidays and stay safe if you're traveling um wear your masks if you're driving in the snow um don't slam on your brakes if you're hydroplaning, pump them, you know, basic stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> my father's a mechanic. I've had certain things drilled into my brain from a really early age. <laughs> um, and Ken, I'm so happy for you that you have a gig. Good luck. Thank you. You're Thank starting you rehearsal much. so soon. Yay. Wee. I'll be starting rehearsals right about the time this episode is dropping. Yay. Make sure you put up uh, some Instagram content for we who are following along with your adventures. Um, listeners flood his Instagram with encouragement and, you know, star emojis and stuff. All right. Well, um, <laughs> this has been uh, safety corner with campfire classics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, until next week, this has been campfire classics where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. And then we all fall down. And was I supposed to see something at the end too? Uh, did you want it? No, I couldn't remember. The first one is like, you say that. And then I say a thing. 